Well, we come to Exodus chapter 12. Last time we looked at the first 14 verses on the Passover. What a great study that was, and we had a great time ending it with having the New Testament Passover communion. And uh, we saw there in Exodus 12, 14, as we ended, this day shall be to you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And Jesus tells us we're going to, one of the first things we're going to do when we're raptured, the bride of Christ caught up to heaven with him, that he said, uh, we're going to look at that tonight, that I won't take of this mill again until I eat it and drink it anew with you in heaven. And uh, so we're looking for, I guess, eternally, uh, the Passover um, continuing on throughout um, eternity. Of course, it'll be different, and we're going to talk about why it'll be different um, than it is here in the Old Testament. But tonight we come to verse 15, verse 15 to 28. We're going to look at the unleavened bread. And uh, so it reads there, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. Now, let me just stay right here. This is where people start getting confused. Because when were you to go, what month of Nisan were you to go out and find the lamb? On the 10th, right? Remember, we studied this last week. On the 10th day, you go get the lamb, and then you kill the lamb on the 14th. So when is Passover? On the 14th. And that also begins the day of unleavened bread. So when he's talking about the first day, he's, the actual date of this first Passover is the 14th or 15th of Nisan, depending on how you look at it. Because it says here on the 14th, but in Leviticus, we're going to see in a minute, it says on the 15th. Because this is where it does get a bit confusing when in evening, the new day begins. Remember, in Genesis, there's evening in the morning, you know, but the, the day didn't start in the morning. The day started at nighttime. It's when the first of the day. This is why what day did Jesus raise again on? Uh, it really depends on, on how you view it. So unleavened bread starts either on the 14th, as it says in many places, then in Leviticus, it makes it very clear, it starts on the 15th. But remember, the distance between the 14th and the 15th is a matter of seconds. <laughs> so remember, they were, to put the, they were to kill the Passover lamb in the evening, just as the sun is setting, right? Before it gets dark. But that also starts the day of the 15th. So did you actually have Passover on the 14th or on the 15th? You probably started with the barbecuing on the 14th, but you probably actually ate Passover on the 15th which is a couple hours later, right? But it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, this is us. This is our Western brain. We love to get it all exact, you know? And, and so, again, this is where people start getting confused. Oh, the first day. Okay, the first month, the first day of Nisan. No, no, no. 
No, we're, we're on the 14th or 15th day of Nisan. And then leavened bread goes seven days. So that's either the 21st or the 22nd of Nisan. Now, again, the way they did their calendar is they would have to cheat on it every once in a while <laughs> to get it to line up that way because the lunar calendar doesn't work quite as well as the later calendar we have as Gregorian calendar. But even our Gregorian calendar is not great. It's 365 days and a quarter days, years, right? So every four years we have a leap year. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, I had several friends that were born on that leap day and, uh, you know, they, they only had like eight birthdays in their whole life and they were in their 30s. You know, they never could have a birthday, very rarely on their actual birthday because of, they were born in the leap year. So even there, but what the, the, the Jews would do is they would just sometimes add a whole month. <laughs> sometimes they'd add five days to every month. They would do whatever to try to get it as close as they could. So they did do this on the 14th. But again, um, through the centuries, did they keep up with it in every part of the world? I doubt it, but they did the best they could. But for whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off. I'm going to come back and talk about that, but let's read on. So on the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. On the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared for you. So they have a, a special day of worship. Nobody's to work. Everybody's take the day off uh, on the Passover day, which is also the beginning of unleavened bread. But then also they're to do it again on the seventh day. Then they can start eating leaven again after that. But again, if that happens to fall next to a Sabbath day or on a Sabbath day, it changes things. So this is, again, part of the, the problem with when did Jesus raise from the dead? Because when they call the holy convocations of the first day of unleavened bread and the seventh day of unleavened bread, they also call them Sabbaths. <laughs> so if it happens before the seventh day, their actual Sabbath, or after the seventh day, you, you get Sabbath, Sabbath. And it's possible to even get Sabbath three times in a row. And, and so that it changes the calculating uh, a lot of times in the way they say it. If they just say that's the seventh day of, rest, of, of the leavened bread, and now we're going to have the actual seventh day of the week. Um, but again, it gets a little confusing. Well, in verse 17, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generation as an everlasting ordinance. Once again, just like Passover, same with unleavened bread. In the first month, we know that's Nisan, right? N-I-S-A-N, which is our March-April. Again, it's a lunar month. Nisan's a lunar month. It's not, a, it's not a part of the Gregorian. So it could be March, it could be April. Now, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. But seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house, since whoever eats what is leaven, the same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. 
You shall eat nothing leaven in all your dwelling. You shall eat nothing. You shall eat unleavened bread. So notice here in verse 18, it says on the 14th day is when unleavened bread starts. Now let's go down and let's read the same thing, but in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 23, and hopefully this will clarify a little bit. In verse 4 through 8, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the Lord's Passover, is the Lord's Passover. Now verse 6, on the 15th day, <laughs> hold it, let's go back up and look at Exodus. Um, what did it say? Didn't it just say the 14th day? Yes, it sure did. In verse 18, on the 14th day, but now I, they had a problem with that. So this is the fun thing we're going to see as we get to uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. The skeleton of the law we see in Exodus, the meat began to get put on the bones. And so a lot of additional things we'll learn about these feasts because they realize practically We've got to explain this in more detail because it, there's a lot of questions. And so the time they get to Leviticus, they're like, well, it doesn't really actually start till the 15th. But again, the twilight of the 14th and the beginning of the day of the 15th is a second away from each other, right? They actually butt into each other. But remember at the Passover meal, could you have any leaven at the Passover meal? No, you could not. So really, unleavened bread was on the 14th, even though the actual beginning of seven days in a row doesn't start till the 15th. And now do you count the 15th and go to the 21st, or do you actually count seven days, which would take you to the 22nd? Well, remember we just read in verse 18 of Exodus 12, it said there from the 14th to the 21st. But now we're down in Leviticus 23, 6, and it says the 15th day of the same month of the Feast of Bread to the Lord, seven days you shall eat the unleavened bread. Now on that first day, which now we know is the 15th day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, which, according to my calculations, brings us to the 22nd. So the way this is playing out now, let's think about it. Passover is a holy day of convocation. That's a day off, no work. But now the day of unleavened bread is also a day of holy convocation and is also another day off. So there's two. But like I said, if it bumps up against the Sabbath day, then you end up with three days in a row, which is very possible to happen. So the seventh day, no unleavened bread. And if you do, he says there an interesting thing back in uh, verse 15, where he says, if you do, that person who eats leaven shall be cut off. Now, what does that mean? It's the Hebrew word karat, K-A-R-A-T. And clearly, sometimes that term is to put somebody to death. We see it, for example, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. 
the Lord's talking about the flood. And he says, never again shall all the flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. They were, they were all put to death, right? So clearly there. Also, Exodus 9, just a few chapters ago, in verse 15, uh, it says, Now if I stretch out my hand, he spe- this is Moses speaking to Pharaoh, and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. Clearly about being put to death. Now, some people say, no, no, cut off. It means to be exiled or kicked out of the land or no longer include, excommunicated from Judaism. And you couldn't live in the community anymore. And that's a possibility as well. Um, Later on, however, in the law, clearly, for example, when he says, if you break the Sabbath day in Exodus 35-2, he uses another Hebrew word, mute, M-U-T. And that is the word to put to death. So again, here he doesn't say, you'll be put to death if you eat leaven in those seven days. He says, cut off, which is up for, up for debate. Sorry about that, gang. And uh, so, again, there is another Hebrew word for put to death. It's very, very clear. And that's not the word being used here. What do I think the answer is? I think it really depends on the dispensation. Do you guys remember that story in Numbers 15, verse 32 to 36? This is right after, again, the law has been established. And on the Sabbath, they find a guy picking up sticks to throw on his fire. And somebody says, Isn't, is that work? Is that breaking the Sabbath? And they grab the guy and they bring him to Moses. And Moses says, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if something that simple would be counted as work and the death penalty is he supposed to have or not. So Moses says, we got to go to God. So again, even when it's so clear using the word mute, anybody breaks the Sabbath day by doing any work at all, he'll be put to death. Even there, Moses is like, they were just sticks. It wasn't like he was plowing 40 acres. But the Lord said, death penalty, yep, any work. Now, we know that the Sabbath is Christ, right? And any work added to the cross is heresy, is blasphemy. We are saved not of works, (laughs) not of effort of any kind, not of yourself. Well, it's just little sticks, if I don't tell them to come to church, they won't. If I don't tell them to tithe, they won't. I got to tie that in with salvation to make sure, you know, I get their presence and get their money or get them to serve or get them to go to the missions trip. So I sort of got to say, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith and your good works prove it. So we'll see if your good works are proving it when we count the money up and when we look at the attendance and we see whether you're serving or not. They add to it, it's heresy. But again, here, with this guy picking up sticks, getting put to death, it's sort of like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, I believe, when they gave part of the money, but they acted like they gave all their money like Barnabas had done, but they kept some back. 
And he's, they said to Peter, here's every penny we have. And the Lord speaks to Peter and says, you know, it's all 100% yours. You don't have to give a penny of it. Or you can give one penny of it. But, but are you really giving everything? Don't, don't, just don't say you're, you are if you're not. Oh, no, no, we are. Boom. Ananias dies. And then his wife comes in and she goes, I just want to know, what did you guys give everything or not everything? Because you're saying you give everything. You don't have to give anything. Oh, no, we gave, just like Barnabas, we gave everything. Boom, she killed over dead. Well, do you think anybody since then has lied about how much they've given to charity? <laughs> do you think anybody else ever picked up some few little twigs on the ground to throw in the fire on the Sabbath? I'm sure people did. But it seems like up front, God was letting you know his heart on the matter, although he wouldn't judge it in that way in the future, Right? But he's letting you know, yeah, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. But I, I can't kill everybody every time you, you eat a little piece of leaven when you shouldn't have. Or, um, you know, somebody throws you a piece of bread at lunch and you eat it. And then you realize, oh, my gosh, I ate half of that. And it's, it's just, this is the seven, seven days of unleavened bread. Oh, my God, Lord, yeah, lightning, watch out, you know. No, I don't think God's going to do that. So, but I'll just say it really depends on the dispensation of time. I think there was a time when the Pharisees, or not the Pharisees, but the, the Levites were ruling. I think it was very strict. And then I think under the Pharisee system, it was very strict, and people got put to death, stoned to death for a lot of things. But I think when you look under the kings and under the prophets, no, it just wasn't that strict. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that, you know. You're going to have to take it up with God later on. But there was no real penalty for it because the priests weren't also the civil leaders most of the time. The way this system is set up, this is why it's really important we go through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy because people all the time say, well, the Bible teaches you to have slaves. It's a pro-slavery book. Oh, the Bible tells you that, you know, and, and and then they quote some scripture out of Leviticus. Look, if you interpret Leviticus the way the first readers interpreted it, you won't get the stuff they're saying about it. So you really need to to learn it. So you have a a debate on those issues. But I'm saying that, that, that under God being the king and those, the civil government of the Levites and the priest being the civil leaders, as well as the spiritual leaders, that was a system that did not last very long. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it did not last any longer than really, not even Joshua's lifetime. Before Joshua died, nobody was following that system. And Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua says, hey, as for me and my household, I'm, I'm supposed to be your civil leader as well as your spiritual leader. I give up on the civil stuff and I give up on the spiritual stuff. None of you are listening to me now that we're in the promised land. But for as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you, the way we're living our lifestyle, that's on you. But that's all I have to say about it. So it ended. And then you ended up with prophets, you know, Samuel and, and so forth being the last one. And then it goes into the kings. Kings didn't really care if you ate leaven or not. <laughs> they, most of the time, they, they didn't keep the tabernacle. Remember? In the book of Nehemiah, when they read about the tabernacle, the people said, we've never heard about the tabernacle. 
And what does he say? Ezra, the last time you guys took tabernacle is when Joshua was still alive. For over 500 years in the promised land, almost the entire time, you never have kept the Feast of Tabernacle. So they did it for the first time there. So you understand what I'm saying, that the, the Levitical rule was God being king and the Levites being the civil leaders. That, that's going to make sense more sense later on. So how were they cut off? I really think it depends on the dispensation of time and how they really were ruling, not just as spiritual leaders, but as civil leaders. Well, moving on here, then you got this feast of unleavened bread. Now, practically, this was easy to do that first night, right? Because as soon as the angel of death came and all the Egyptians are out of their mind angry, you didn't have time to bake bread. <laughs> you just had to take whatever you had and go. You didn't have time for the leaven to rise and, and bake bread. You just had to make some crackers and get out of there. But later on, um, they did it not out of necessity as they did this first time, but they did it out of tradition and out of the, the command of God. So how does it look in a Jewish household today? It's actually a lot of fun. Matter of fact, um, it's sort of their Easter egg hunt. Uh, on, on the days leading up to the beginning of unleavened bread, people, of course, quit buying leaven, right? Because you can't have anything to do with leaven in your house of any kind. But mom would make a bunch of dough and then put them in little balls and hide them all over the house and the backyard and everything. And so when they would have their meal together, they would say, okay, tomorrow begins the Passover day and the beginning of unleavened bread. We can't have any leaven in our house when we take of that Passover meal. So we got to go get it. So the kids go through all the cupboards and look under all the chairs and, and they all bring back all of their bunch of leaven, you see. And then they take it and they throw it away. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful moment in time, joyful, fun for the kids, but also a, a very clear moment in time for them. Why? Again, it's puffed up. Leaven puffs up. People with prideful hearts sin. People say, well, God said there's only male and female. Well, screw God. You know, there's 10 different, you know, genders, you know. It's a puffed upness. It's not a humility. It's like God hates homosexuals and I hate God. I'm a homosexual, you know. It's this thing that it, there's pride in it. And so leaven has to go. So there's a humbleness realizing our sinful condition. So significantly, God called them to walk unleavened after the initial deliverance from Egypt. Just practically, they needed to. But symbolically, they were being called to a life of moral purity before the Lord after their deliverance. I mean, isn't that really what it's saying? The Passover night comes, they're delivered. And for those first days, as they are heading into the, heading towards the promised land, there is no leaven. There's a purity before God. You guys remember that story in 1 Corinthians 5, where the man had got puffed up 
and married his father's wife, his stepmom. And the law is very clear on that. You do not sleep with your mother, your stepmother, your sister, your stepsister, anybody else. That's an abomination. But the church was prideful. They were puffed up, Paul says, saying, he literally says that in verse 2, you're puffed up. You've not rather mourned that he who's done this deed should be taken away, cut off, exiled from amongst you. In the Old Testament, it's literal and physical. Put him to death. In the New Testament, spiritually, we excommunicate them, not physically kill them. But anyway, he says, even though I'm absent, I'm with you in spirit, you've got to call this one and let kick this guy out so he's under the un, he's no longer under the umbrella of God's protection. He's out. He's Satan's able to beat up on him. All Satan wants to beat up on him. And Paul says, this is what you have to do when people get to this point, that their body might end up being destroyed, but yet their soul saved. But notice how Paul looks at this in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 5. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. You truly are unleavened. In the eyes of God, there's no leaven. He's made us white as snow without spot or wrinkle or blemish or anything. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Did you hear that? End of verse 7. For Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast now. Since Christ, the Passover lamb, is a done deal, now we're going into the leavened bread time, Let's keep this feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's interesting. I grew up in the San Juan Key Valley, and there are a bunch of farmers and uh, Amish and Mennonites, and, and with that, uh, Quakers. And with that culture in some of those places, one of the big things is they had leaven from hundreds of years ago. They've been in the family. And it was very common for the ladies at church to bring a big, giant thing of, of leavened bread and everybody take a chunk of it and they keep that leavened bread for their family for the next couple of hundred years. And you always had some of that leaven. It was a cultural thing. Anybody else? Was anybody else around that? But they were very, very uh, excited about having this leaven. But really, when you think about it, Bacterially, that's not probably the greatest idea, is it? When you really think about it, you know, it's not COVID uh, responsible. Um, but here, and, and this may just be a side note, that how God protected them, that every year they had to start over with a brand new uh, leaven roll. They couldn't keep using the old one from years past. So what about the New Testament? Well, again, the Passover is, is Jesus, right? But let me, let me make something clear. And people, again, sometimes get confused in the Gospels. For a Jew, they would say Passover, but they also mean unleavened bread. Or sometimes they'll just say, hey, we've got to keep the endless of an unleavened bread feast, but they're including Passover. Let me show you some examples in the New Testament. In Matthew 26, 17. Now in the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want 
to prepare for you to eat the Passover. <laughs> so you see how they looked at it now practically? According to Leviticus, when does, when does leavened bread actually start? On the 15th. But they knew they couldn't have leavened bread at the Passover. And you don't have time because it's a whole, Passover is a holy day of convocation. You can't work on that day. So really, on the 13th, all the leaven's got to be gone, right? You can't work on the Sabbath. And the Passover day is a Sabbath. The first day of unleavened bread's a Sabbath because those are both holy convocations. So you can't work. So you can't get rid of the unleavened bread after Passover without breaking the Sabbath. So you're really getting rid of it on the 13th. And so really, unleavened bread started during the day on the 14th. And, and, and you have no leaven in your house before the Passover meal. And of course, you don't have it for the next seven days. So they just sort of lumped it together. Look also in Mark 14, 12. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb. <laughs> so again, if you're not aware of this, it can get a little confusing. Look in Luke 22, 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. What? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is also called Passover? Yep, practically at this point it was. You know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, same thing type thing, you know. Um, you know, what are you going to do for the holidays? You know, including Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, it's sort of one lump thing there. In Luke 22, 7, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So now it's, uh, again, if you don't understand how they correlate, it can be a little confusing. But this is the way the Jewish mind worked. Well, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, number one, pick up. Number two, take lambs for yourself according to your families. Pick out, excuse me, pick out. Secondly, take one of the lambs for yourself. Thirdly, kill the Passover lamb. And then the next thing he says, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel on the two doorposts and the blood on the basin. This is repeating what we just talked about, right? Last week, the Passover. We looked at this already, right? But now he gives a new command. And at the end of verse 22, by the way, None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. That's a new one. We haven't heard this one yet. But I guess as they're getting close to now applying it, they realize, don't go outside. It's just going to be too chaotic. It's going to be too crazy. You know, people by the thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, are going to be running into the streets, out of their minds, screaming because the firstborn of all their households and the firstborn of all animals have all died. So there's going to be so many people losing their minds and freaking out and screaming and yelling and don't just, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, you're, you just had, you just lost your baby boy and you run out in the street, streets and you're banging on the door of your parents' house, ah! you know, and, and, and then you see some Jew looking at you did your baby die? No. <laughs> no, they did not. You know what I'm saying? They, they could get attacked or something. I don't know. It's just God just says, you don't want to get into this chaos. Not until morning time. There'll be plenty of that left. Well, in verse 23, 
For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So notice he talks to, in verse 21, the elders of Israel. So in essence, guys, I need you to be leaders. If you guys aren't out front, the first ones killing that lamb and barbecuing it and getting things going, you lead it. Don't stand there going, do we start now? Do we not start now? Do I kill it? Do I wait a minute? Um, okay, I kill it. What, what, you know, No. You guys, I, I'm, I'm pull, we're having a little special meeting here. Elders, come together. You guys lead this thing. And by the way, I didn't say it before. Make sure nobody goes out of the house at night either. But either way, I need you guys to lead this thing. And then get a bunch of hyssop. So branches together in a bundle. And again, they probably use these type of things for brushes or brooms or that kind of thing. But get a, get a bundle of hyssop branches and apply it in the blood. Remember, it goes to the top of the door and then to the side, to the side, making the shape of a cross. We're going to see this continue. The idea of hyssop, it's a, it's a holy cleansing um, branch. In Leviticus 14.6, when it talks about a leper who has been cleansed from his leprosy, again, you're to get cedar wood scarlet and the hyssop branch. And with the hyssop branch, you're to dip it in the blood of the bird that you sacrifice, and then also over running water, you're to apply the hyssop branch. Also in Numbers 19.6, the priest would take this uh, when they are... Um, sacrificing the red heifer. And it says there, the priest shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet, cast them into the midst of the fire burning of the heifer, but the hyssop branch. And then also um, in making things purified, people or things like the priesthood. In Numbers nineteen eighteen, a clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it in the water, not blood this time, but just water, and sprinkle it on the tent, on the vessels, on the persons who are there, on the one touch, uh, touch the bone or the slain or the dead or the grave. Anything that made you unclean according to the law, you could be cleansed after your time of purity with the hyssop and some water. Also, it's used metaphorically. In Psalms 51, 7, when David was repenting, He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So hyssop is clearly in the minds of the Jews about how to be cleansed. In John 19, 29, interesting. This will blow your mind if you haven't seen it before. When Jesus on the cross, they took a vessel full of sour wine that was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine and put it on what? A hyssop branch, and then put it to his mouth. Interesting, isn't it? In essence, he says, you got to see the blood. When God has the angel of death come over to destroy, you got to have the blood. You've got to, by faith, Slay the lamb. You got to by faith put the blood, some of it in the basin. By faith, you got to go gather some branches and put it on the door. When they come, they've got to see the blood applied, right? Numbers 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no, or Hebrews 9 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
In 1 John 1, 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious, what? Blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And of course, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we just read a minute ago. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Well, Exodus 24 to 28, we finish here. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons. How long? Forever. It shall come to pass when you come into the land, the Lord will give you just as I have promised that you shall keep this service. It shall be when your children shall say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we doing things like this? Why are we having the Passover like this? What's this mean? That you will say, it's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our household. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So you, when you think about saying this to your children, when your kids go, why are you doing the, why are you killing? You said, first go get a pet. We went and found the best, cleanest pet we could. We come in and we're feeding it with our leftovers or it's cuddling up, sleeping with us at night and we're teaching it some tricks. And, and then after four days, you, you, you kill it right in front of us. And you put the blood in this bucket and put it, what, what is going, what? And then, as they think about future telling of their kids, future telling to their grandkids and their great-grandkids and so forth, they begin to tear up and they begin to just think this 430 years of slavery is going to end in just a few hours. And it's going to be by a mighty hand of God. And we're going to see it. And I'm sure it's going to happen. Their hearts are full of faith and and the thought of, of this powerful story, this powerful historic story. As you read through the rest of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, what do the Jews always talk about? When God brought us out of Egypt, when God brought us out of Egypt, they constantly say, well, when the Lord brought us out of Egypt, back when Moses brought us out of Egypt, back when, remember, they were, Stephen's sermon in Acts 7 was all about that, and then he started disputing over it. And then uh, Jesus, like, well, Moses gave us man in the wilderness. Jesus gets furious over that in John 6 and says, Moses didn't give you squat. <laughs> that was my father who gave that bread to you. And I am that bread now that's being given to you by the same God, by the same father. And, and that bread they ate and they died. They didn't even make it to the promised land, but you eat this bread, you shall never hunger. You drink this blood, you'll never thirst. You'll have eternal life. So it's always that point in time, and then it would be fulfilled in the next most important point in time. So really, in all of human history, those are the two most important moments in time, the exodus and the cross, the, ex, the Passover and the unleavened bread being fulfilled in Christ. And so... They went out, and I love this, at the end of verse 27, they bowed their heads in worship. So they're thinking about what a great story we're going to have, what an amazing, powerful story of redemption God's going to give us. They just were humbled. They just truly, 
just probably weeping, just, they were just humbled in heart and began to worship. Who am I? Who am I that God has so favored us? And then verse 28, then the children of Israel went away and did so. I love that. They went away and they did so. I wish that's the way it always was in this story, but not so. But just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, listen, so they did. Ah, there's nothing more beautiful than an obedient heart unto the Lord. So this is for the children's children. What a story you're going to have. And this, again, is something that's going to go on forever, he says in verse 24. In the New Testament, we are that fulfillment. Now, you say, well, but we don't eat a lamb. Because there is no lamb to our Passover meal. Look at Hebrews. Um, Hang on just a second here. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hang on just a minute. Um, He gave us that Passover. Let, Let me read how Jesus loved this thing, how zealous he was for the Passover. In Luke 22, 14 to 20, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him, and he said to them, listen to this, with fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I no longer eat it of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So when it's fulfilled in the kingdom, we're going we're gonna to do it at that marriage supper of the Lamb. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. Take this and divide it amongst yourself. I say to you, I drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes again. I will not drink of the vine until the kingdom comes again. He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after the supper, saying, Listen to this now. This cup is the new covenant, what? In my blood, which I shed for you. So in one swoop, he struck the Egyptians. He delivered Israel. They bowed, they worshiped, and pure obedience happened. So looking at the conclusion here, number one, Jesus is our mandatory lamb. Without him, we die in bondage. We die in our sins. Romans 5.8, for God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners. What? Christ died for us. John 14, 6, no one, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the door, and the blood has to be applied <laughs> on the door. In Acts 4, 12, there's no other name under heaven in which men can be saved. Either the blood was applied or it's not applied. And if the blood's not applied, death. Number two, it's not the contentious sacrifice, is not a content, continuous sacrifice in the New Testament. It's not a contentious, it's not a continuous, excuse me, it's not a continuous sacrifice in the New Testament. So no lamb is needed for our Passover or communion, only bread in the cup. Remember in Hebrews 10, 12, but this one man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, has sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice, there is no more needed. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. 
We have the lamb slain. He doesn't need to be slain again. So now when we come, we don't eat the lamb. (laughs) We don't kill anything. We don't need any more blood. Christ's blood was sufficient. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is done once for all. All is perfected. So now we just take of the bread and of the cup. We don't need the whole Passover meal. Number three, we need to worship him with obedience. We need to bow our heads low, don't we? And do it. (laughs) Bow our heads low and obey. In John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him whom sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. In John 6, 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Have you applied the blood? <laughs> then you have eternal life. When we stand before the Father, and he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? We're coming through Jesus and the blood that's applied to that door. Through that one sacrifice, I am as righteous as Jesus is. He gave that. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We might become the righteousness of Christ.